Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of No Wellness Wankery Podcast. Today, I have a guest with me who I think you're going to love. I, I love. I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm a big fan of everyone who I have on this podcast. But I've worked with our next guest, Shelley Judge, before, and I just think she's someone I want you to know about. So, she's a pediatric nutritionist. She's got over five years' experience. It's not just that. She's also got a, a bachelor of nutrition and food science, and a master's in public health nutrition. So that's I mean, pretty impressive stuff. She's recently founded Good Little Eaters. Um, and this is, I think, something that all parents should know about because it's a way it's just, she's helping us create a judgment free hub so that parents can become confident with feeding their kids. And she's using her experience in children's behavior, psychology, and nutrition. And she's turning complex nutrition science and mealtime behavioral science into actionable steps, which is what we all need. Ultimately, she's helping parents transform mealtimes and help kids develop a healthy relationship with food, which is giving them everything they need to get started to be a healthier adult. Shelly, thank you for coming on today's episode. Thank you so much for having me, Lindy. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, so also just a little disclaimer, you are now 33 weeks pregnant as well. I am. (laughs) Yeah. So it's going to be a great experience to also just be uh, doing this for yourself and, and having that experience. I think that's going to be a really nice thing to to have. How do you feel about it? I'm very excited to start this next journey and also start to use some of my own strategies in my own life as well uh, that I work with clients every day with. Well, right on. Um, I, I want to dive right into this idea of fussy eating. Mm-hmm. I think we're, you know, like what is, <laughs> what is fussy eating and what is just like normal eating? Like I don't like capsicum so much, um, but does that make me a fussy eater? How do we know when, when, a, when a toddler or a child is a fussy eater? Um, what should we know about that? 100 and this is something I really try to drive home because there's foods that I don't like either and it's so unrealistic for us to expect kids to like everything. Give me a banana and I will push it away. I absolutely hate it. So this is what we need to understand. Not all kids that refuse foods are fussy. Uh, It's normal for them to go through some fussy stages, but some of the warning signs you do want to start looking out for is, you know, that they're eating less than 20 foods. They've got 20 liked foods. Um, And also you might be, you know, it might be stressing you out. This is a time as well where you want to reach out for some help because mealtimes shouldn't be stressful. They often are. And I think it's a little bit of a rite of passage that parents take on uh, that, it, you know, this is just something that they have to go through, that mealtimes have to be stressful and it just doesn't need to be. But the main, yeah, that main warning sign really is that they've got less than 20 liked foods uh, or they have had a dramatic drop in weight. Uh, Again, I don't like focusing on that and we can talk about that a little bit more later on, but they're just some of the warning signs to really look out for. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I think it is one of those things that we do need to kind of consider weight and and not put too much emphasis on weight, but I know there's a lot of my friends who've mentioned about their kids are, you know, on the bottom, on the lower kind of percentile charts and their pediatrician starts to get a bit worried about that, that. Um, So I guess what you're saying is if they're losing weight, but if what happens if they're not gaining weight at all and they're, they're growing, but they're not gaining weight, is that also a concern? It is a concern at different stages in their life. uh, But Again, it's we want to make sure that we are focusing on the whole picture and not just weight because this is where, you know, even kids that are in that really high 
percentile, which I know as a child, I was always on the 99th percentile for weight and height. I'm six foot three. That's just how I was. But to a doctor reading a chart, that's a worrying sign to Mm. them. But when you actually look at the whole picture, look at what your child is eating. That's when we can see if weight's actually an issue. So Mm. it's not always just because something's not tracking perfectly on the, the growth charts. It's not always uh, a worry, but it is something to watch out for. Mm. I think one of the things I hear from many toddler parent friends is that they'll offer their child something and they don't really like it. They go to all this effort to make it and then they they kind of assume that that their child doesn't like that food. So they don't really keep offering it to them. What's your advice about frequency on offering the foods? Uh, I know it is disheartening to, to go to all that effort, not to end up, you know, for them to be eating it. But what should we be doing as parents? Oh, it's so disheartening when they don't eat something that you've slaved over cooking for them you know you've made this thing you think that they're gonna like it because maybe they liked it a little while ago or they like something similar and then they refuse it but the thing is it actually takes up to 15 to 20 exposures to a food for a child to even try it so it's so many so many many. and you know that's just an average number that we've come up with so it can take more than that it can take less the thing you need to focus on is to keep on serving it up but make sure you're also helping them engage with it we don't want to pressure them to try anything that's the last thing we want to do But there are a few different things you can do to really help them actually engage all their other senses other than taste. So does that mean, you know, you've got your plate of some stuff that maybe there's like some familiar foods that you know, this is generally what they eat. And let's say it's mushrooms that we're trying to go, okay, let's let's build exposure to mushrooms. So what you're saying is we're placing it on the plate so that they can visibly see it. And even if they don't touch it, they don't smell it, they're just seeing it. That's, That's an exposure in and of itself. And we should be doing a bit more of that. Yes, 100. 100%. That is the first stage of exposure, just putting it on their plate. Uh, Having it there with a liked food present as well, always make sure that you're serving up that liked food because ultimately we need kids to feel comfortable at mealtimes. You know, I always like to talk about it. Adults have had 30,000 meals by the time you're 30, whereas kids have had, you know, or a toddler has had maybe 300 meals. So think about that practice that we've had. It's become so normal to just have these foods on our plate. It's not normal for them. They haven't even seen half of these foods before. So it's all about getting them to feel comfortable with what's on the plate. And that happens through exposures. That sounds really practical. And and I think what you're also getting at is this idea of not having pressure, which as a parent is so hard. So what you're saying, just to be really clear about it, is you put the food on the plate and you you don't say, oh, you should try the mushrooms. It's so delicious. But we don't say that, do we? No, no. That is the the one big no-no. I don't like having food rules. You know that. But it's the one rule at a mealtime that you really should have for yourself is that you do not ask your child to try anything. Mm. So it all goes back to this division of responsibility and knowing your role and your child's role. So your role as the parent or carer is to serve up the food and decide when and how much to serve up. And it's then your child's job from there to decide how much to eat and what to eat of what you serve. So this is the most important thing that you can take into mealtimes 
Once you put the plate down, your job is essentially done. You then let them explore. And then once, let's say they do try the mushroom unprompted and, you know, you're, you're. Don't celebrate. Don't celebrate because (laughs) internally you're like, woohoo, don't say a thing. Just you act neutrally. You go into, you know, turn around briefly for a second if you need to. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. 100%. If you need to go into the kitchen and hide down behind the bench and celebrate, do that. Do not show them that you're (laughs) excited about it though, because while we, you know, want them to be trying new foods, this can just be another form of pressure that we're putting on them. And it can, it's a positive type of pressure, but whether pressure is positive or negative at mealtimes, it's still pressure and it has the same effect. So this comes back to this idea that I've heard you talk about, which is neutrality with all food. Yeah. And this idea that we're, you know, we, we want our kids to be internally motivated with how they feed themselves. And I think as parents, when we keep coming in and saying, eat this, don't eat this, that's too much sugar, all these things, we're teaching them that there's like external forces that need to control what they eat. But when what we're doing, what you're talking about, we're allowing them to experience foods for themselves and to become internally motivated and regulated, then they can make decisions about food that is going to serve them far better for the rest of their life because we're not going to be around forever to to help them eat in a certain way. Yeah, we're developing independent eaters that aren't swayed by diet culture that we, you know, as adults so often are, um, you know, we're teaching them not to have these food rules from the very get-go and I think that's what's the most important thing is – to help them develop that healthy relationship with food, you really need to help them have ne- neutral associations with all foods. Want to stop binge and emotional eating for good? Understand the cause of these habits, learn how to deal with afternoon or evening binges, and get the number one tool you need to break up with binging for good with my free five-day course. This means no more hiding food wrappers, eating in secret, or feeling guilt and shame around your eating behaviors. Instead, you'll learn how to regain control over food, make peace with your body, and stop being consumed by thoughts of food all the time. Sign up to my free course in the show notes and experience the life-changing transformation for yourself. And I think if you're a parent who's struggled with body image, diet culture, dieting consistently throughout your life, it's it's more important. It's, it's essential that that you are doing this kind of a neutral approach and and getting someone like Shelley to advise you on how we're going to be talking about food, because it is it comes down to nuance and the little things we say yeah. or the things that we don't say. The body language, it's all these little things that I think they play into it. And and I think for me, growing up with in a in household where um, food was quite disordered, um, I really am very gun ho about creating yeah. a very healthy space for my kids to grow up. And I'm sure if you're listening right now, you're also pretty interested in that. So I think that's an important thing. And just to talk more about this idea of neutrality with food, I think the mm-hmm. hardest kind of concept for many people to wrap their heads around is this, when we, I've seen you talk about it, when we present a child with dessert, yeah. so let's say we've got an apple and a chocolate, for example, what the advice that I've seen is to not say things like, well, if you eat your apple, then you can have your chocolate. And and rather what we're doing is not positioning chocolate as a treat, 
but we're just placing them down neutrally in front of them yeah. at the same time and allowing them to have freedom of choice. Is is that right? Can you talk about this in more detail? 100%. It's just like what we want with adults, you know, to be able to create this neutrality around food. We want to do that with kids. So it's really important that you do just serve up those sweets or the snacks, the packaged snacks, whatever it is, you serve it up like a regular food that you'll be serving up and you do it with their dinner or with their lunch uh, because this is how we're really going to just show them that it's just another food on their plate. It's not something that they're going to be restricted from because really the human psyche does say we want what we can't have. Mm -hmm. This is tenfold with kids. You tell them they can't have something and they are going to beg you for it until they've got it, whether it be a toy or whether it be a chocolate or an ice cream. So what we want to do is make sure that we're serving it up consistently and serving it up just with their normal food. That, you know, I think what is hard for some parents and and I understand it, it's hard for adults to understand that, well, why do we serve up dessert with dinner? That's strange. It's strange to our palate, right? But also that's just diet culture talking that we can't, as adults, choose to eat something sweet before we eat something savory. It has to be that other way around. What what happens if our child doesn't have a large appetite for that meal and then they end up only having the dessert and not having the vegetables and the other stuff? Um, I guess once or if it's a, happening once off, yeah. we might feel more calm with it. But if it becomes a bit more of a trend, that could cause us to feel a little bit scared of this process. Any thoughts around that? Yeah, definitely. It can be a scary process, but I promise you, if you do this consistently for two weeks, they're going to not just pick up the chocolate first every single time. But the key is being consistent for a few weeks with it. If you're just starting now to serve up that dessert with dinner, it's going to be the exciting thing on their plate and they are going to eat it first and it might mean that they eat slightly less of the other stuff. Stay consistent with it for a few weeks and that's when you're going to start getting that neutrality with the food and they'll be able to pick and choose the different things on their plate. Mm. And I've seen some incredible footage of like a child with chocolate in front of them and they're actually just munching on an apple. Yeah. And for them, they just, you know, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really matter because as you said, when we're making something forbidden, it becomes highly interesting, highly palatable, highly exciting. Yeah, so it's put up on a pedestal. Mm. So by serving it at the same time, we're helping to reduce that and to kind of make it less exciting and novel and just become another food, which is that food yeah. neutrality concept. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we just serve up a small amount with their usual foods and that's how we achieve that. Can we talk about snacking? Because you touched on mm-hmm. snacking and those those packaged foods. I, f- I hear, I know with my son, he loves snacking, big, big, like love snacks, grabs a bag and starts pulling it towards me and says, yeah. snack, snacks. I know there's a lot of parents who fear that their child just snacks all the time and that there isn't, when they get to mealtime, they're not actually that hungry because it feels like they've been snacking the whole day. How can we have a healthy relationship with snacks for them? Um, Share your tips with us, please. Yes, of course. Uh, Okay, so this is two parts. First off, just like desserts, we want to serve up those snacks consistently with their usual meals. You can take them out of the packets. Crinkly packets are very exciting for kids. There's just a thing about them that, you know, they're 
very tactile. So they want them. Serve them up consistently with their usual meals. But the second part of that is actually making sure that you've really got a good mealtime schedule in place and mealtime boundaries around that. So it goes again back to that division of responsibility that you're deciding when food's served, not your child. And you've got to make sure that you're respectful with them with this boundary, but still firm. You don't have to give in to your child. They're not going to starve because they haven't eaten for half an hour, even though that they might react like that. They might have a tantrum in the shopping center. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so I understand that there's obviously times you want to avoid a tantrum and you do just end up giving that snack. And look, I don't want you to beat yourself up for doing that either because that's also just life. And sometimes it's just easier not to let your child have that tantrum if there's an easy way out of it. But when you're at home, it is really important to get firm with these boundaries, because that's also going to help them understand as they start to get older, that there's times where food's available to them and times where there's not. So it's not just constant grazing, right? No. There is like, like as us, you know, we have, we go to work, we've got, you know, our schedules, we can't just eat willy nilly whenever we want. And so we're kind of building that with kids already. We are. They, kids thrive off structure. And so that's what we're setting up for them. And we can then set boundaries around a schedule so we can let them know that dinner is in 20 minutes. If they ask for something, why don't you come and help me prepare it? And this works for kids so young. You don't, they understand a lot more than we give them credit for sometimes. So use a boundary around that and say, okay, if you, uh, you know, dinner's in 20 minutes, but you can help me, you know, prepare some things if you'd like and give them a little task. Or if they're not eating much at that meal, you can use it in the other way and say, the next meal time's not until breakfast. Are you sure your tummy feels full? And what happens if uh, an hour later they're like, my tummy's, I'm sorry, tummy's not full. What do I do? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, at dinner time, especially, you can offer them um, a bedtime snack. It's okay to do this every now and then. I don't want you to get the habit to do it every single night because that just is them avoiding eating their dinner. But, you know, if they are really hungry and they're just asking for food, they're not asking for an ice cream or, you know, a very particular thing, then this shows us that they are actually hungry. Offer them a small snack. We don't want kids going home hungry. Sorry, going to bed hungry. So that's the thing. If anyone ever tells you to starve your child out, please run a mile. This is... (laughs) not advice that you should ever take on. It's not about making your child hungry, but we do want them to be hungry coming into meals. And that's why setting up a schedule is really, really important. Because I think diet culture makes us quite scared of feeling hungry, you know, never feel hungry again. It's this idea, but uh, you know, it's natural to feel hungry multiple times a day, every time before we eat. And that is kind of the pattern we want to be teaching them. Yeah. Well, we want them to help. We want them to understand their hunger and fullness signals as well. And Mm -hmm. we need them to understand that from a very young age, because that's, you know, we've, we've grown out of doing that as adults because of diet culture. So we need to make sure that they're doing that so they understand when they are truly actually hungry and not so that Mm. they can regulate themselves. Now, if it was 20 minutes till dinner time and they're like, I'm really hungry. And you said, do you want to snack on some tomatoes while we cook? Mm -hmm. 
What do you think about that as a as something to tie them over? Or yeah. do we just hold strong? <laughs> no, that is okay. So what I do instead is have no pressure veggies. So if it's, yeah, not too long till dinner time, put out a little platter and get them sitting up at the bench with you. They can either help prepare things or you can have these things called no pressure veggies. And they can pick at that if they would like to before dinner. We just place quietly, place yeah. vegetables in front of them. We don't say a word. Yeah. If they eat them, they eat them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what I suggest to parents is just have some prepped in a container in the fridge that you can pull out every night and pack it back in. Uh, so it's very easy um, to just put out there, but you don't need to be feeding them 20 minutes before dinner, a snack that they particularly want. It can just be about putting these veggies out. It's exposures then that we're building on because Mm. they're being exposed to these different veggies. You can give them a kitty cutter knife to try chopping some of them. They're fantastic. Uh, And it's really just building on that mealtime principle. Mm, I love this. I feel like it's very practical. And just to reiterate, I think what you're saying when it comes to like the meal times, you're referring to breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but also that there's yeah. morning tea and afternoon snacks. Yes. So rather than just constantly eating from breakfast to lunchtime, there is a set time at like 9.30, you know, when that, yeah. that's their morning tea time. And then we consolidate snacks so that it's not just, you know, eating. It's not whatever. constant. It's they're eating every, you know, 90 minutes to two hours. That's what we kind of want to space it out as um this is how you know kids and even a lot of adults again how we need to actually eat we can't just eat huge big meals and then not going to eat huge portions a few tablespoons for toddlers is all you can really expect them to actually consume at a meal time so i think that that's something that also trips up a lot of parents is we see them pack their plates uh full and then you know oh, I'm worried that my kid's not eating enough because they haven't finished everything on their plate. But what you want to do instead is just serve up small amounts. Whenever you are serving up food, you can always add more to their plate. Mm, and that's not to be too overwhelming for them. So yeah. we're not, you know, not, they can always get more if they want. And of course, yeah. they're always allowed to have more. Can we talk about vegetables a little bit more and building that healthy relationship with vegetables and with fruit? Um, there's two kinds of school of thought, you know, there's a bit of that hidden vegetable idea where we blend everything, we try hide all the vegetables. And then the other school of thought is we want to have that exposure so that they become familiar with this is what a mushroom looks like. And yeah. it's, you know, you know, it's not, has, doesn't have to be hidden from them at every time. Can you talk about that idea? Yes, of course. So look, I understand that some recipes do have vegetables in them that are grated. Like, you know, the bolognese sauce I make has five to six different vegetables all grated in into it. But what we want to do is really make sure we're being upfront and honest with kids with what's going into that meal. We don't want to be hiding vegetables from them because we want to be always putting exposure and engagement with the vegetable ahead of how much they're actually consuming at this age. Their nutritional requirements are actually quite low. uh, And I think that that's something, again, that's forgotten. We've got to meet these unachievable targets, but we don't. They're not actually that difficult to achieve for a lot of kids. So we want to make sure that we are always prefacing exposure over them actually eating it. Mm. I've heard this um, a bit of... uh 
two two thoughts here. We're talking about fruit. Um, I have I have heard from some parents who say that their child won't have vegetables, but they will have fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and given that there are similar nutrients in it, that can nutritionally tick some boxes. But yeah. I've heard that you know we still want to be exposing them to vegetables. We don't want to just give up on veggies altogether. Is that yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, fruits can really take that pressure off them eating, you know, the vegetables because it is nutritionally, they're very similar. You're, you're going to be able to get exactly the same nutrients from fruit as vegetables. And don't worry about the sugar that's in fruit. It's completely fine for your kids. But again, we don't want to stop exposing them from different vegetables. And we do this in different ways. It's not just putting it on their plate. We want to make sure we're actually engaging them with it as well. So that's where we bring them into the kitchen if we have some time and, you know, get them actually chopping things, grating things, or we play games at the table as well. It's not, you know, I think our our generation was probably a lot more, if you're like me, it was we use our cutlery, we don't touch our food with our hands, we clean our plates. That's Those days are gone. We <laughs> want kids to have fun with their food. This can be, you know, with peas, for example, something I always tell my clients to do is, you know, have a race of rolling a pea across the table or <laughs> squish the peas in your hand and see what popping sound it makes. Or get a toothpick and see how many peas you can skewer onto a toothpick. It's these little games that we play that gets them touching and exploring those foods, but there's no pressure to actually try it. Mm, I really like that. It's like, it's, you know, ultimately we stick to things that we enjoy doing. So if we can help them enjoy vegetables, it feels like a a nice lifelong habit. Yeah. And it's all about getting them to that comfort level with that vegetable before it then goes into their mouth. Yes. Oh, I love it. Very practical advice for us. I, I, I want to bring it back to that, what you just mentioned about fruit and sugar. And I overheard a mother the other day talking to their child saying, you can't have any more watermelon. It's got way too much sugar in it. It's time to have something else. And then I also noticed that when I became a mother, I started listening to these podcasts about, you know, nutrition kind of things. And I found that the, the, the far left nutrition sphere, there was a lot of sugar phobic attitudes where they, you know, they refer to children as fruit bats. And if you give them fruit, then they just go psycho with it and it alters their mood and it makes them go crazy. (sighs) Anyway, um, what are your thoughts on all of these things? And um, if we did notice that our child was having a lot of one fruit or one particular food, what would we say and how would we deal with something like that? Yeah, sure. Look, sugar is always a a worry and I think that uh, it's – we do have this fear against sugar of any sort and it's sad to see that that's coming through with sugar in fruit as well because fruit is so nutritious and serving up whole fruit with all of the fiber in there is a fantastic snack for your child. What I do suggest though is never serving up just one food. This doesn't just count for fruit or vegetables. It counts for whatever you serve up. Never just serve up one individual food to your child at a mealtime because it's a missed opportunity. So we want to make sure that we're building out a little bit of a mini meal. So even at snack times, it's not just watermelon that you're serving up. They might choose to just eat the watermelon and that's their choice, but you're serving up some yogurt with it 
or some peanut butter, uh, anything like that that's really going to build out the protein and the healthy fats. This also then goes into them being able to feel a bit fuller for longer and build out that nutritional profile of the meal as well. Mm. And so if they wanted to keep eating the watermelon at some point, we would say either there's no watermelon no left, more left. Or- or there's yeah. plenty of other foods on your plate to still to be finished. Yeah. Um, would we say um, something like that? Not really. Yeah. So the first one, yes. Um, you, you know, serve it up one more time. Uh, I always say offer seconds. But after a second, you have every right, again, going back to that division of responsibility, you decide how much is served. You have every right to say there's no more on the menu today. Mm. But we don't then need to say there's plenty of other foods on your plate that you can eat. Just Mm. leave it as there's no more on the menu today. Mm, Okay. And leave it at that. And I think that's the hard thing is, is a lot of this is what not to say as much as it is is what to say. And so it's it's really nice to have your, your practical words of wisdom here. Um, And don't beat yourself up. If you do say some of this stuff, it, it's a learning process for, you know, you as a parent, just as much as it is for your child as well. Mm. And we don't want to be pointing out the reasons, like giving them reasons why we shouldn't be eating something. So it's not yeah. a conversation around, well, watermelon has got sugar and sugar's bad. You know, that's that's way too yeah. much to be talking Bring it about. Back to those neutral associations at all times. We want neutral terms around all foods. Mm, okay. I love this. And what this is all getting at is building a healthy relationship with food. So before we wrap up this conversation, are there any other top tips that you have for building that healthy relationship with food for your children? The main thing is to just make sure you're actually serving up these foods. You know, what I see so much is that parents restrict foods, uh, you know, for so long while their kids are at home uh, and not going out to school and things like that. And then they go to school or they go to kids' parties and they're being exposed to these foods for the very first time and they go nuts over them. Mm, so, so you're talking about something like ch- chips yeah, or chocolate, cake, anything like that, ice cream. You know, these are scary foods sometimes to serve up to kids because we've been told that they're the unhealthy ones and they don't need them. Sure, do, does anyone need them? Like nutritionally, not necessarily, but mentally, like what it does for our mental health to be able to enjoy these foods. Yes. And that's what having a healthier relationship with food is. And we want kids to be able to understand that we are allowed these foods. There's no foods off limits. Serve them up first in your own home and you're going to help your kid actually develop a healthier relationship with all of these foods before they get exposed to them at these different situations. And they'll know that those foods are on offer so they don't need to binge them. Mm, that's excellent advice. Um, I just had one more thought before, before we leave. Can yes. I ask you this? I have this theory. I have two theories. One of the theories is around food touching. I know with toddler plates, there is a bit of a, a thing where we put um, food in little quadrants on the plate and things never touch. Yeah. And part of me wonders, shouldn't we be combining foods a little more so that their exposure to like, you know, there can be herbs on top of a pasta mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, what are your thoughts about food touching and, you know, creations? Yes. Look, mixed foods are very overwhelming for kids. It's a lot because they don't necessarily understand what's in that food and that's all about not hiding things uh, and being upfront with them what's, what's on offer. 
So it can go both ways and it can also really depend where your child's at as well, what's going to work for them most. Uh, so it often is best to actually deconstruct them. If they're feeling really overwhelmed at mealtimes, this is the time where we really want to strip it all back and deconstruct that meal completely and then build them back up to having more of the mixed meals where some foods can touch or you can have, you know, plain pasta and the the bolognese sauce and then you can have one strand of pasta that's covered in the sauce that's Mm. served up separately. It's just about very slowly getting them there because we've got to meet kids where they are. They're young. They haven't had many meals and we need to remember that this is a learning process for them. Oh, I love that. Um, thank you. That really, that's really helpful. Um, one more thing I wanted to ask you while I've got you is I kind of have this other theory that um, one of the reasons kids hate vegetables so much is that because nutrition advice has told us as parents that we need to take out all so- sodium, all fat, all sugar out of every time we eat vegetables. Yeah. As a result, we have vegetables that taste like very bland. And then then they go out and they'll have chips and they'll be like, well, this is delicious. Well, of course it's delicious because the gap between what healthy food is considered and what unhealthy food is considered is so grand. And that my theory is if we added more flavor to our healthier foods, that way we're going to help them have a healthier relationship. So that means we're adding, yes, we know we don't want our kids eating lots of sodium, but if we're adding like flavor, a little bit more flavor, if that helps them eat the veggies and have that healthy relationship with veggies where they might even like it more than the chips or equal or whatever, then that's brilliant. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with you there. Like, yeah, sure, we do want to watch how much sodium they're having, especially before two, but that doesn't mean that they can't have any. Mm. Uh, And, you know, there's also a lot of different ways that we can flavor fruit uh, with vegetables, sorry, by putting just different herbs and spices on them as well. Mm, or just putting a little bit of cheese and broccoli and baking yeah. and if they like that yes we've added a bit yes. of so- sodium yeah. but they're now going to have a really yummy yeah. broccoli experience yeah and if your child likes tomato sauce and you're putting two teaspoons of tomato sauce on their plate to help them feel comfortable with the other foods that's okay it's not I- going to hurt them I agree. And yeah. one of the things I do is I'll just like do a really light drizzle of the tomato sauce yeah. so that it's just, it's, it's evenly distributed and he doesn't just eat it with a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shelly, I have found this conversation incredibly helpful and I bet many of the parents listening to it will as well. Thank you so much. Um, I'd love for other people to be able to go and find you. And especially if you've had a tricky relationship with food and want to raise kids to have a healthy relationship with food, I'd love you to reach out to Shelly. How can we reach out to you and find you? Okay. Well, you can find more uh, about me on my website at www.goodlittleeaters.com or come and join me on Instagram at goodlittleeaters. Uh, I'm always up for a DM, uh, a conversation in my DMs. So hit me up. Uh, thank you so much for having me today. It's been really great to chat to you about this. I could talk about it for <laughs> hours and hours on end. And please do, do follow Shelly because she shares so much good stuff on Instagram um, and everywhere that she exists. Um, I will pl- pop all those links in the show notes so you can easily find them. And also we'll give another shout out. So many of the recipes in Back to Basics, my app, were developed by Shelly. So she, I mean, she's a foodie at the heart of it. She yeah. knows good food. And if you want to try any of her, her recipes that she's created in Back to Basics, you can try it free for seven days. My goodness, some of them are some of my, my most favorite recipes ever. Thank you, Shelley, for coming on today's episode.
Hey, I've got a question for you. Does binge eating feel like your dirty secret? And are you sick of trying to be good, but falling off the bandwagon and losing control around food? If so, I can help. Binge Free Academy teaches you how to beat binge eating and feel in control around food giving you doable evidence-based strategies. You'll get lifetime access to 30 practical step-by-step video lessons, 12 group coaching calls with me, and become part of my Binge Free Academy community for life. As a recovered binge eater, I get it. I know there's no quick fix or one-stop shop for binge eating. And so that's why I want to give you the ongoing support and care you need and deserve. And I'm so confident it will help you that I'm offering you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So no risk or reward. You can take control over your food and your life. And I think it's the best investment you'll ever make towards reclaiming your life, your health, and your happiness. To learn more about Binge Free Academy, you can click the link in the show notes or go to lindycohen.com slash binge-free-academy.